0: You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. I'm Andrew. Thanks for introducing me, Susan. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, before we jump in to today's text, I really want to make an observation about these last few chunks of the Sermon on the Mount and the incredible teaching that we've sat under these past few weeks. Um, the gifts God has blessed this church with is actually quite stunning. Um, And I'm floored by the good and beautiful and compelling life of the kingdom of God that's been painted these last few weeks. Um, I don't know everybody's history here, but I assume that some of you in the past have actually been clobbered by the passages we read together these past few weeks. Something like, you better not break any of those rules in the Bible and memorize them too. Or, you better stop being angry at your brother. Jesus says that's murder. Or, if you don't quit your lust and you'll end up in hell, right? Some version of those messages maybe you've heard. Um, and whether you've heard them or internalized them, I hope you heard something different these past few weeks from our preachers, as I did. <laughs> I heard something more like the law is confusing at times, but it reflects God's character and is refreshing to the soul. Look how Jesus fulfills it and the many ways it can bring life in the kingdom of God. That's what I heard. And I heard something like, we are a kingdom family, so don't get caught up in anger and rage towards one another. Jesus offers a better way of peace and patience and reconciliation. God desires a better life for you. And I also heard that the soul-crushing shame of lust doesn't need to rule your life. Christ is a beautiful Christ's is a beautiful kingdom where we don't use and objectify each other, where we are beloved to each other. So come to Jesus and find grace and mercy. That's what I've heard. And I'm curious if you were stirred by the Spirit these last few weeks and what maybe you did or are doing about those stirrings. And if you're open to being stirred today as well. Um, Right at the top I want to urge everyone not to ignore the stirring of the Spirit. Okay? You may need to talk it through in home group. You may need to talk it to to the preacher who preached the message that stirred you or one of the pastors or elders. You may need way more than that. But if that's the case, start somewhere. And I invite you to start there with being seen by a leader who loves you. So, as we turn to today's text, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for being present to us, for allowing us to be present to you, for inviting us into a kingdom that you have so clearly laid out for us, and yet which is beyond our comprehension. I pray as we open your scriptures together today, may these words of my mouth And The meditations and thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, today's passage is from Matthew 5, verses 31 and 32. Surely two little verses can't cause much of a stir. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, Okay, so maybe having only two verses actually makes it harder to talk about this passage. Uh, Jesus uses these two verses to oh so briefly weigh in on the topics of divorce remarriage, and the topic from the previous section, which was adultery. I mean, Jesus, could you give us a little more than two verses on this? We will definitely get to more than two verses, including more of Jesus' teaching on the topics. But let's begin where Jesus does with, it has been said, because that's, that's where he starts, right? It has been said. Where, Jesus, where has it been said? Well, with this, Jesus is bringing us right into a debate that had stirred within Judaism for centuries Largely related to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, which says this, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and then it goes on. But that's, that's, the, that's the verse that has been debated and debated. And first, I just want to point out that a certificate of divorce was extremely important for a divorced woman in that historical setting, in the ancient Israel, and in the time of Jesus. Because it helped assure that a woman could be provided for in an exceptionally patriarchal time and culture. Okay? But also, in this passage, potential causes of divorce are mentioned when a man is displeased and finds something indecent about his wife, which is on the surface not very strict and not all that clear either, right? So let's look at the debate among some of the teachers of the law in Jesus' day on this idea. So this is this is what the rabbis were saying in the time of Jesus. The house of Shammai say, so the house. This is like a collective, a collective singular, which is why they say say instead of says. It took me a while. I thought was that a typo. The house of Shammai say a man should divorce his wife only because he has fair grounds for it, found grounds for it in unchastity. Since it is said because he has found in her indecency in anything, Deuteronomy twenty four one. That's the verse they use to argue that. And the house of Hillel say even if she spoiled his dish. Since it is said because he found in her indecency in anything, also Deuteronomy twenty four one. And our Akiba says even if he found someone else prettier than she. Since it is said and if, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes again citing. Deuteronomy 24.1. Okay, so you see this? Shammai argues for divorce only in situations of unchastity, which is what we would call cheating, right? Citing Deuteronomy 24.1. Hillel and Akiba argue for divorce if a woman either burns dinner or isn't pretty enough. Yikes. Also citing Deuteronomy 24.1. So when Jesus speaks on divorce, it is in the context of this culture of permissiveness regarding divorce. We tend to think of divorce as uniquely common and permissible in our days, right? Because it is. But it's not quite so unique as we think, right? I assure you the houses of Hillel and Akiba were making these arguments long before American culture. Back to Jesus. What does he have to say about the topic? That's what we're really concerned about, right? I wonder if you've already picked up that Jesus' way of handling these types of issues and how we're approaching the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps you've deduced that Jesus isn't interested in conversations on how far is too far. And specifically, Jesus isn't interested in drawing lines with the intent that I'm going to get as close to that line as possible without crossing it. Jesus is not interested only in eliminating murder. Murder. Jesus envisions a world where anger and rage and hatred are eliminated from the human heart. Jesus isn't only interested in eliminating adultery. Jesus envisions a world where all all lust is eliminated from the human heart. So how is Jesus going to get to the human heart behind something as fraught and complex as divorce? I think for that we have to flip ahead in Matthew to chapter 19. And this conversation is also recorded in Mark 10. But Let's read together from Matthew uh, Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. All right, so let's look at the question they test Jesus with. Right. It says specifically the Pharisees came to him to test him. The test question is, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Like, if we want to get a divorce, do we really need a reason? Jesus? Like, really? Any reason? Like, does Jesus think men should be able to divorce their wives for any conceivable reason? Like, she didn't laugh at my jokes. She got a haircut I didn't like. She secretly roots for the Green Bay Packers. Like, any reason, Jesus? Sorry, Packer fans. I just have to do that every once in a while. I mean, I have to admit that if Jesus were willing to go along with such flippant reasons for divorce, I would have a hard time respecting him enough to follow him. Right? I have to be honest. I mean, laying down my life for somebody who thinks that divorce is okay if somebody burns dinner, that would be a tough sell for me. Jesus isn't interested in catering to hard-hearted, adulterous men about whether they're justified in dumping their wives. He's not interested in that. He speaks once again to the unseen heart behind the external behavior. And he begins at the beginning in Genesis. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator... Made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Right? That's from Genesis. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. To the issue of flippant approaches to divorce, Jesus holds up not a legal argument but a beautiful picture of marriage as two becoming one flesh. The God who turns hearts of stone into hearts of what? Flesh pronounces that in marriage, two become one flesh. Bodily so, yes, but also in other ways, they become softened to each other, growing comfortable with each other, showing a unifying love that reflects the love of God into the world. Scott McKnight beautifully suggests that for those who are married, that our love for our spouse is to be with them, to be for them, and to be unto God's formative purposes for each of us. That espouses, we should be with each other, for each other, and unto God's formative purpose for each other. That, that is Jesus' answer to the question about any and every reason for divorce. But they follow up, the Pharisees, with another Deuteronomy 24 question about divorce certificates, right? to which Jesus reminds them that the law of Moses made a concession and indeed makes lots of concessions because the entirety of God's law was written to give guidance and a way forward to hard-hearted people, right? Jesus basically tells them that divorce was never part of God's desire, of course. God's desire for marriage is for it to be self-giving, the two becoming one love that persists till death, but divorce is a consideration that must be considered and navigated because people injure each other. Hearts are hard, and yes, people cheat on each other. Marriage covenants are designed and built to last, but there are times when, sadly, they become broken. And the single folks, that's right, neither, neither Jesus nor I have forgotten about you single folks, But the single folks might hear these questions being asked of Jesus and ask along with the disciples, well, if that's a situation, then it's better not to marry, right? That was the disciples' first thought. And hearing Jesus have these conversations with these Pharisees, well, if that's really how it is, maybe it's just better not to marry. And Paul would have something to say about that. He would actually recommend a strong consideration of that, Um. So I I ask if you are single to sit with that possibility for a while. It it might be a good thing to sit with. But I also assure you I'm no anti-marriage advocate. (laughs) I have to confess to being really absolutely delighted with the nearly 20 years that Marcy and I have been married. Sorry, I just have to confess it. Sorry if that's too much PDA. But I don't pretend that marriage itself is the prescriptive teaching of the New Testament. Okay, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, had these wise words on the topic in his book, Discipleship. He said, Jesus does not make either marriage or celibacy into a required program. Instead, he frees his disciples from, in the Greek word, porneia, which means infidelity within and outside marriage, which is a sin not only against one's body, but it's sin against the very body of Christ. And you can read 1 Corinthians 6 for more on that. Even the body of the disciple belongs to Christ and discipleship. Our bodies are members of his body. So this is essential. Jesus doesn't prescribe either marriage or or celibacy. Jesus frees us from infidelity, both within within and outside of marriage. But every question that Jesus gets about divorce comes not from the perspective of freedom, does it? These are the questions of people in bondage, not freedom. They're, how can I get out of this, questions, rather than how can I flourish within this, questions. Jesus desires everyone in his kingdom, whether married or single, to be joyfully free from lust and infidelity. That's the flourishing kingdom life that's available to Christ's followers right now. And will one day be complete and true for all. That is Jesus' good and beautiful vision for us. But questions arise because, of course, in married relationships, it's not all good and beautiful, is it? And I want to interject here with some words from Scott McKnight, New Testament scholar. He says, Remember what Exodus said about the expectations of a husband for his wife, food, clothing, shelter, and covenant love. Abuse destroys the marital covenant as understood in the Bible. So let's not treat Jesus' words or add to them Paul's words and think that every possible ground for divorce has been covered by Jesus or Paul. And if abuse can't be found within pornea or desertion or whatever the scripture says, then abuse isn't a legitimate ground for divorce. No, abuse destroys what it means to have shelter because the house is no longer safe. Our text in the Sermon on the Mount should never be used to protect aggressive people or be used to justify abuse of a spouse. These are strong words from a New Testament scholar who has a very extremely high view of Scripture and a extremely high view of marriage. The Bible isn't asking you to just take the abuse. It'll take courage, but please reach out. But we haven't really talked about the second verse in the passage today yet which is Matthew 5:32 but i tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery this could be read as jesus simply saying once you're divorced you're not allowed to remarry and there are many faithful christians who hold that position And when we take into account the passage we just looked at in Matthew 19, along with the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus completely unconcerned with what's allowed. In Jesus' mind, if people's hearts weren't hard, there wouldn't be a need for divorce in the first place. In his kingdom, where both spouses are living as one flesh in the kingdom, free from covetousness, lust, and infidelity, marriages work. Work. The question askers in Matthew 19 seem to just be testing Jesus' threshold for people getting away with dumping their wives or their spouses. But lurking behind every bad faith question, like theirs, is someone else wrestling in good faith with a really difficult reality? And this may be where some of you are. Human beings who are desperately seeking God and yet find their marriage seems broken beyond repair anyway. I know many of you have been there, maybe are way past that, have marriages that have ended long ago. You want to know how to faithfully follow Jesus with the rest of your life in whatever state you're in post-divorce. And first, I just want to say that any teaching on a particular issue like divorce must be set in the context of the rest of Jesus' teaching. Jesus' ministry, his teaching, and his work on the cross. So if you're here today wrestling with feelings of shame, The shame of not being strong enough to keep the marriage together. The shame of not living up to the marriage covenant. The shame of having been unfaithful. Or the shame of having experienced unfaithfulness. Or the shame of being abused emotionally, spiritually, or physically. The shame of an abuser who broke a covenant by making the world unsafe for their spouse and their kids too. The shame of wondering if it was really okay to get divorced. Or the shame of wondering if it was really okay to get remarried. I want to remind you that we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus, who came that you may have life and have it to the full. Past relationships are messy and complicated, and you'll probably have to navigate some level of pain for years. But Jesus doesn't ask us to live in the shame spirals of relitigating the past. Jesus pronounces forgiveness, healing, and freedom to you to move forward in his kingdom. regardless of your past. His kingdom is available to you right now just as much as it is to anybody else. It is so important for every one of us to remember that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If there's anyone here whose marriage seems to be falling apart right now, maybe on the cusp of divorce, I beg you to try not to make that monumental decision or discern your next steps on your own what Jesus says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage are authoritative and trustworthy. But when you're in the middle of the complexities of this life, you may need help discerning what Christ is really calling you to do. And if you're considering getting engaged or married, you need sustained, wise input. You need a loving church community that is invested in your flourishing because it is a big, big, big commitment. And if you're considering separation, I hope it goes without saying that you also need sustained, wise input and you need a loving church community that's invested in your flourishing and you may likely need professional counseling from someone more qualified than your home group leader or your pastor. Hi. You'll need a commitment to Jesus to hold you in the fight, to exhaust the options available to you with trusted friends to talk with you throughout. That's what we'll need. My friends, righteousness is available in all of our relationships because Jesus has made it available to us. The kingdom of God is here for you right now because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And all of us, every single one of us need that grace in order to come to the table today. Every single one of us, no matter our history, no matter our past, no matter our relationship status, we all need that grace to be invited to come to the table. And we all have it. Nobody comes in their own righteousness, whether they're single, married, divorced, remarried, widowed, or celibate. We all need healing as we boldly, boldly come to the table today because Jesus invites us to boldly come as forgiven and healed daughters and sons. But as we come to the table today in this Lent season, it's a season of repentance. And so before we, before we sing and before we come to the table, we're going to confess together. And we'll put the words of the confession on the screen. You can actually put the words up there right now. And I'm going to give a minute or so of silence if you'd like to pre-read or consider the words before we we, uh, pray this confession together. But let's take a a moment of stillness, prepare our hearts, and then we'll speak these words together. Because we all need them. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.